0: This is The Lisa Show with Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T Welcome
1: to The Lisa Show.
0: We often hear about the importance of building a strong foundation, and this principle applies to everything, our homes, our habits, and most importantly, in our relationships. A good relationship is the kind that will stand the test of time. It's built on trust, and it's built on love, also, it's built on mutual respect. But what else makes a solid foundation for our relationships? To share their secrets of stability, we've asked by, back into the Lisa Show, Danielle and Howard Taylor from Marriage on Deck. They are the marriage coaches and authors of the book, The Fundamentals of Marriage. Welcome back, Danielle and Howard.
2: Good morning. Thank you for having, us, you for having us.
0: All right, uh, Danielle, to you. I would like you to define for me stability as we talk about it in a relationship. What is it?
2: Stability in a relationship has two arms. The first one is the spiritual arm. If you're a spiritual spiritual person or religious person, stability is connecting with your. Um, uh, religious hierarchy, committing to them, praying, fasting, reading the word, like that type of thing. Mm-hmm. That's the foundation for us if you're a religious person, right? If you're a non-religious person person, and in addition to religious, mm-hmm. basically stability is just getting on the same page, having a foundation, um, how divided against itself cannot stand. So if we de- develop values and declarations and mission statements and affirmations, things that, Uh, basically matter most to us and come into agreement with those things and then committing to them, that I think will help couples establish the foundation for stability in their relationships.
0: So how, uh, yeah, Howard, as we're establishing that foundation, uh, what does that look like? We, we, you're coaching a a couple that wants to build that foundation. Maybe there's no issues within it. How do you recommend that they, they voice or put into place that foundation?
3: Yeah. So for, for Danielle and I, I'll share, uh, and what, what we coach couples on is we, we kind of take couples through practical steps. Um, and so that developing out your foundation, we, we would call it, it uh, is coming up with things that I would say are core values. So um, core values are incredible to making sure you have something that's a guideline or a benchmark for your relationship. For Danielle and I, it was called the Ten Commandments of Our Marriage. And so we listed out these core values or these things that were very important to us that acted as an accountability partner outside of just the she or I. So, okay, it's written down that we have to take commandments of our marriage. Because we've written that down, which we ought to do, don't just talk about it, document it somewhere. Mm-hmm. Now when uh, Dale or I breach one of those core values or commandments, We use that as the the judge and jury, right? Not what Howard thinks now in his current season. It's also important to have mottos and mission statements or impact statements documented somewhere because these things are great reminders to you as you go through your day. We know marriage presents presents many, many things that act as distractions maybe to uh, what our core values are. Whether it is something we're excited about, maybe that maybe it makes me want to quit my job, but a core value for us is uh, is financial stability, and so I can't just come home and tell my wife I quit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, These these things help your marriage not um, fall, fall or falter, as Dana said, house divided against stuff can't stand. Um, And so, also, we one of the visual things we do is we take couples through. Um, A quick visual exercise. And we say, think about the strong marriages or the power couples that you revere or reverence. You know, visualize that couple. In marriages, we always have these couples that we think, oh, maybe it's our mother and father that have been married for 35 years or somebody at our church or somebody in our community. Well, we call those skyscraper marriages, right? Hmm. And so whenever you see a skyscraper marriage, it's tall, it looks great, they look happy, they've been married a long time. When, when, we, when we remind couples that they're, the foundation of a skyscraper is oftentimes deeper or just as deep as, as what you see above ground, right? Mm-hmm. And so in order for that couple have to have gotten to the point of being a skyscraper marriage, they had to dig a deep, solid foundation based off of core values, principles, disciplines, and practices, and then continue to have staying power or consistency with that foundation. And so uh, that's that's one of the visual exercises that we take couples through in addition to documenting core values and boundaries.
0: You know, as you're talking, uh, there's an old Sunday school song that comes to my mind. I'm not sure if in your faith tradition that you know it, but the song essentially goes, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, the foolish man built his house upon the sand, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, It's one that the younger kids would sing, and the house on the sand washed away, right? And, and, And the principal obviously is building on a sure foundation. Danielle, what are those those principles or foundations of sand that we fall ourselves trapping into?
2: I think we find ourselves being trapped into not being prioritizing each other, not being focused on what the mission and value is, not respecting each other, not valuing the time that we have, not appreciating who we are um, as individuals and what we bring and contribute to to the marriage. I mean, I, I probably could go on and on, but some of those things, I think, is is some of those things cause us to have a not to not have a firm foundation. Mm-hmm. And so when we start missing of the course. mark, you know, being testy and temperamental and um, not not adhering to the to the goals and the commandments and the vision, like all of those things, I I feel like contribute to having a sand stand under your relationship.
0: Now, we're, your vi- relationship. we're visiting with Danielle and Howard Taylor. They are um, marriage coaches, authors of the book, The Fundamentals of Marriage. You guys work with uh, couples. And, and I would suppose that the conversation would go something like this. Hey, would you guys like to have a stable marriage? Would you like to have stability in your marriage? I can't imagine that anyone would be like, nah, not interested. <laughs> B- but I do imagine that they... When, when people work with coaches, it is oftentimes because they have found themselves in, in some element of a shaky foundation. So, Howard, what what are, are the things that you've learned in the time that you've done this? What are some secrets or some helps, some hacks that you can offer in our time with you guys today?
3: Yeah, sure, sure. <clears throat> one, one other thing, one hack is just that you mentioned, you mentioned it there. Um, we believe that there's safety in the multitude of counselors, and so... Um, We think that there's some level of dangers in having an isolated marriage where there's not somebody, whether it's a coach or a marriage mentor, that's been where you're going uh, and that could help you navigate that space. And so um, we encourage all to align themselves with a spiritual marriage coach or a mentor. And these individuals, it's important to note, shouldn't just be in your life when you have problems, right? Similar to the sports arena where... Even though you may be the greatest basketball player, baseball player, or or, or, or football player, there's still a coach that helps bring that out of you. And so very important for marriages, especially those that are new, uh, to tap into a a mentor or coach. Um, In addition to that, it is is always important. I call it relationship performance evaluation. As you build on stability, you've maybe documented those boundaries that we talked about earlier. How often do you revisit that? And so, in the workplace, if you're going to be a stable employee, if you're right, and you have a boss that really cares about your growth and succession plan, they sit you down on a periodic basis, whether it's semi annually or annually, and they go over how you're performing to those boundaries or for day on our Ten Commandments. And so, it's very important for couples to document that. Put that on put that on schedule. Mm-hmm. And by putting that on schedule, what it'll allow your couple to your, your spouse or your partner to become is your accountability partner. And it, it also because uh, I would say a pitfall to a firm foundation is when you get in the cycle or habit of always pointing out weaknesses mm-hmm. and always nitpicking and all, it, 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 that what that does is it sometimes puts cracks in your foundation. Whereas if you have a definitive time to talk about constructive criticism because it's on calendar, first and foremost, the, the, the spouse or partner expects to get some uh, just like I wouldn't work with. I expect to get some constructive criticism. Hmm. But also it allows for you to meet that constructive criticism with even more praise. We know that a good a good accountability partner or boss or coach, though they're going to give you constructive criticism they match and balance out that diet equally with praise. And so two things, have a mentor for your marriage as a hack always. And don't just think that it's when you're struggling and have relationship performance evaluation Mm. as a unique opportunity to grow your marriage and, and, and keep a firm foundation.
0: One one thing that comes to mind as we're talking, and I love the the visualization of a foundation, uh, where I live is in a particular neighborhood where there's a tremendous amount of gentrification or people are tearing down homes and, and rebuilding homes. And, and so mm-hmm. I wonder, in the cases of things like infidelity or financial infidelity mm-hmm. or those things, that's mm-hmm. almost like completely you know, taking out that home, if our relationships are those home, I'm air quoting that. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it—is it possible then to to build a home of the same or even better quality in the place where that one f- once foundation stood? Danielle?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Once you identify what the issues are and kind of isolate it, you can focus on rebuilding from the ground up. Howard always talks about a good um, example of home remodel you tear it all down you build on you tear down the walls you do all of this stuff and then you go back and graph out what do I want this home to look like the home of our marriage well what do we want the upgrades to be what do we want the you know the interior to look like the exterior to look like how do we want to rebuild this to become something that we love and are proud of and so just because you hit a bump in the road doesn't mean it's like oh let's just tear the house down and be done of course Take the time to build it back up and then look at where the holes were. How did we get to that point to begin with last time so that we can be prepared to fight better against it this time, to, To ward off um, any type of attacks from the relationship, from whatever area they may be, to make the foundation secure and strong and stable. So, absolutely, you can rebuild it back up to make it exactly the marriage that you need to be. Nobody that you want it to be. No one has a a perfect marriage per se, but you can. No, well, not per se. Nobody has a perfect marriage, Mm -hmm. but you can create a marriage that you are happy with, and that's ultimately what matters most.
0: I I want to take this example of the home, the being rebuilt, the being renovated uh, one step further to to just sort of ask around this. Several of us, what we know about relationships is what we gained uh, by observing them in our home of origin. Uh, So I liken that to maybe we've moved into a home and there's a wall that doesn't make sense that's in the middle of Mm -hmm. our family room. How, how, do, how do we deal with those as we're talking about this stability and this closeness in a relationship?
3: That's, that, that's awesome. I love that example because when we coach couples, we literally tell them there's a, there's a segment. After we put, We first have couples define what they want their remodeled marriage or home to look like, right? You're using that same example. But then it's very critical when you watch HGTV or all these remodel shows, to open up your marriage by tearing down walls. And so we talk about that tear-down process with couples. And we have these couples mutually list out walls that they feel like need to and have to come down in the relationship. Now, the, the, the beauty of uh, what we call demolition, demolition in the marriage is, though it's loud and it's boisterous and it may cause us to have to change habits in our relationship, for the most part, it's relatively quick. But you have to be agreed to tear them down. And so we have couples list out these walls that have to come down. And then we assist them in tearing that down with what that looks like. So if, uh, if, if there was uh, pornography in a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to tear down the wall of pornography in a relationship, that means that you have to retrofit and put beams and, and do things to make sure that the house is still stable with that wall being out of the relationship. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's being mindful of cell phone usage. Maybe it's being mindful of, of, of that addiction and seeking additional help, right? It's important to anchor on something else, and so uh, because if 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 not, other things, other walls may erect themselves. And yeah. so uh, uh, I love the wall example because it's important to tear down walls, but it's also important to anchor your marriage or, or or your house, your the home of your marriage, on some other things, and that comes through the design the design process. What is our marriage mm-hmm. going to look like? Now that we've torn these walls out.
0: Danielle, Mm -hmm. without breaching the confidence that you've had with people that you've worked with, I'm wondering if you could share an example where you were able to help sort of shore up a wall of a relationship.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, We talked to a couple. We talked to a couple one time where one party came in with a, a single mindset and another party came in. The other spouse, I should say, came into the marriage with like a hero mindset. So there were some issues that had built up over time where it caused them to have a couple of cracks in their foundation from not being able to communicate, from not being able to understand each other, from one person spoiling the other one and then getting resentful over it mm. later on to mm-hmm. how they projected okay. themselves on social media, just a, a lot, a host of different things. So how, like Howard mentioned... We, we helped them to tear those down by asking, what do you, what is the problem, number one? What's the problem? Because a side note from all of that is that sometimes we have small things here and there, but we want to tear down the whole entire house. It's like just because you don't like the paint on the wall doesn't mean you tear down the whole house and run out, you know? <laughs>
4: so so exactly. maybe let's
2: just start there. We can repaint this wall. There's hope, you know? So, um, so that was the thing, too, just really isolating it, getting to the heart of what the actual issues were. Sometimes the, the small things turn into big things, and then it just confuses everybody. So helping them realize what that is, talking about what they want it to look like, and then coming up with a plan on how they can do that. What is the frequency that is going to be done? Who's going to hold you accountable? Are we able to get in there and hold you accountable? When we ask you, we expect an answer regarding how you're working towards these things. Like there's no point in counseling and coaching couples if there's no accountability and commitment and follow through with that. Mm -hmm. And so for us, just getting with them and holding them accountable and um, talking to them about how to tear that down How to go day-to-day after you're long gone from talking to us? Because things can sound great on the phone or, you know, Zoom or whatever in person with these meetings and coaching and counseling. Mm -hmm. But how do I go through my day-to-day after I'm done with you all? So strategizing and coming up with effective practices that they could put into motion to start rebuilding those things that were causing issues was, was paramount and important for them.
0: Danielle and Howard Taylor, certified marriage coaches, founders of Marriage on Deck, which you can find on social media. You can also find their new book, The Fundamentals of Marriage, on their website, MarriageOnDeck.com. Thanks, you guys, for being with us. Coming up, more of The Lisa Show.
1: for Lisa's home for the holidays with the piano guys here today today we have with us John Schmidt welcome thank you and Stephen Sharp Nelson thanks for being here
5: thank you Lisa pleasure to be on the show today
1: so you guys you're the piano guys <laughs> tell- <laughs> you're the guys I love it um, t- tell me how <laughs> you guys came- work yeah. it, that's how it works <laughs> You know, how did you come Poor up with Steve. that name? Number Poor one,
5: Steve. That's all I can say. You don't play the piano, do you, Steve? I oh. do play the piano, but when you're next to John, nobody plays the piano for heaven's sake. I mean, you don't feel like playing the
1: piano. You leave. John but, plays gosh. the piano. Stephen, you play the cello. So hey, you, you got it right. Some people Thank say you. the big violin. <laughs> yeah, hey. the big, the big violin. How did you guys come together? And and tell us a little bit about your story.
5: So it, it all started in a little piano store in St. George, and uh, it, this piano store owner, Paul Anderson, he just started getting tired of selling pianos the same way everybody was selling pianos. <laughs> okay. Uh, no offense, on a radio show, for instance, or or like, <laughs> or right. on billboards or newspaper ads. You know, the, the yeah. conventional things. And, and he just decided, and this was sort of at the genesis of YouTube and social media as it mm-hmm. was burgeoning, and he thought, I'm going to use social media. I'm going to use YouTube to sell pianos. He just had so this crazy, smart. zany idea. And one day in walks John Schmidt to his piano store because John was playing a gig in Tuacon, which he often did. Mm-hmm. And he said, hey, can I practice on one of your store pianos? while I warm up for this gig. And Paul said, absolutely, have at it, play any piano you want. And Paul had known John's work, so he said, John, I've got this crazy idea. Could I film you playing my store pianos and I'll upload the videos to this YouTube channel I've just created called The Piano Guys. That's where the name mm-hmm. came from. Oh, and, then, and then he's like, he gets this sort of zany, crazy look in his eyes and then he says, and then John, we will sell tons of pianos. <laughs> It's sort of this like world domination scheme, you know, and um, so John pulled me in because we've been playing together for a long time. John and I had been playing together for 20 years, way before the Piano Guys, mm-hmm. and I had just moved on to the same street as Al Vanderbeek, music producer. I pulled him in because he had helped me actually move in and said, I've got a studio, let's, you know, record together. And in no time, this is just the four of us just having fun, trying to sell a few pianos on the side. Now, if you fast forward to today, we've got Just our 10th album with Sony. 1.5 billion views with over 80 videos on YouTube and we still haven't sold a piano. (laughs) <laughs> that
6: still haven't sold a piano that's a laugh line actually
5: actually that's that's a, that's a laugh line we actually have started the piano store again it's an online thing and we actually are selling pianos that's the funny full circle of this story. Is so, so the story So the short the short of it is i just came late that's why i wasn't included on the name but john is very, yeah, yeah, yeah. i know we couldn't change the name at that point so
6: you know everybody thinks i'm just a real egocentric guy. Yeah, and it's so. not I light all light. about Steve and I John. both. Steve and I both wish we could change the name.
1: Yeah, but John, you, you it never gets to a point, across. all these albums and billions of views, that you, you, you can't change your name now.
5: Yeah, okay, oh, fine. Sorry.
1: Okay. <laughs> I'm proud to how, be a piano guy. <laughs> Listen, I love the name. I love it. It's it's direct. It's to the point. It says what, yeah. you, what you do and then you're surprised when you watch the videos because you're like hey it's not just a bunch of piano guys it's so much more hey
6: if lisa thinks it's cool then it's cool that's what there i that's, thats what I was hoping for
5: yep
1: that's <laughs> my bucket list
5: is complete yep
1: i love it well so this you know we are highlighting here on this show christmas music um we need it now more than ever uh, i think we can mm. all agree mm. and so yeah. i want to instead of Keep talking about it. I want to, to our listeners to be able to to, to hear something from you. Um, tell us a little bit about this arrangement of angels we have heard on high.
6: Oh, you know this is this is a fun one. I, it's one of those where you you take little snippets of all of your favorite Christmas songs that you love, mm-hmm. and you try to put little. Um, it's a highlight reel. It's actually a highlight reel. If, if you listen carefully, you'll pick up little pieces of about ten ten different songs at least in there I haven't really counted but it's it, amazing it just uh, turned out really fun
5: you're going to hear all kinds of crazy sounds but all the sounds you're about to hear were created with a piano the percussion even feeding a bow through it and uh all of the plucky notes that you're hearing it sounds like a harp that yeah all of this is just all of us surrounding the piano using it and putting adhd to good use really is what this thing <laughs> is. Yes. And, singing, I'm... <laughs> and singing
6: and singing a little
1: bit oh yeah right and singing a little bit. Well, without further ado, The Piano Guys, this is Angels We Have Heard on High. That was Angels We Have Heard on High from The Piano Guys. So who came up with this arrangement? Yeah, we
6: all worked on it together, but um, it kind of hit, the initial idea just kind of hit me in the middle of the night, which is sometimes when the best ideas hit, don't you think? Oh, yeah. But it, it, was, it was great. It was, uh, it was kind of a gift. That, that arrangement felt like a, just an absolute gift.
1: Oh, I love hearing that. That's really sweet. Um, you know, when we think about Christmas music, I, it it hits a little bit differently, I think, for us uh, than than other types of music. For both of you, I'm going to ask you both this: When you think about your childhood, and and you think about the the quintessential like Christmas song that just takes you back to you know what Christmas means to you, what what song is that for you? Let's start with you, Stephen. <laughs>
5: For me, it's uh, without question, the song Still, Still, Still. Mm. The melody is transportive, but it was a a song my mom uh, would sing, and I lost her early on Mm. in in my life and in her life. And she was a prodigious, prolific soprano, lyrical soprano, just the best of the best. And she gave up that career even though she didn't give up singing, she gave up a career in music to be my mom and to be the mom of my siblings, of course. And But I have a recording of her singing it. Oh. And when I play that, tears mm. cannot stop flowing. I think of her, but I think of her life and how her life represented the life of Christ to me. And the story of self-sacrifice and the story of eternal, infinite love, and feeling encircled in the arms of someone that you never want to leave. And that is the feeling I can imagine feeling when I finally get to meet Jesus. It's the same feeling I felt in the arms of my mother, who sang Still, 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 one of the most beautiful Christmas songs ever written, inspired, in my opinion. So it's a very, very special song to me.
1: Yeah. Mm. And John, try to follow that.
6: I'll say gosh, now now that, that's my life that is my that is my life with the piano guys It's Oh
1: man don't say we oh, I the
6: I really reindeer, like please. I really like still 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 yeah.
5: <laughs> Sorry. You can't take my answer John
6: Sorry no but I but seriously my my sister and my brother who um, were amazing influences in my life, mm-hmm. more like parents. One was 12 years older and one was 11 years older. They started a choir, and oh, wow. the, Norman, the Norman Luboff arrangement of Still, Still, Still that they did with that choir, yeah. and they put it, they put it on, uh, they made an album. <laughs> they oh, made wow. a Christmas album. Like, it was literally 40 years ago when I was a little kid. My <laughs> older brother and sister made a Christmas album. And they were they were such inspirations to me. I would go to to their choir rehearsals and just I would just be transfixed listening oh. to them rehearse. And it was just it gave me an an eternal love for choral music. And Norman Luboff was was a was a great. He was sort of the John Rutter before mm. you know John Rutter probably before John Rutter was born. But anyway, I I, I absolutely loved that. And then my dad, you know was an immigrant from Germany. And I grew up listening to his choir, his German choir that he conducted. And the German Christmas carols are just, Mm. they're insane. It's incredible. These melodies of the German Christmas carols, and I would Mm. listen to his choir perform them with with the feeling and the spirit of his conducting. And I would listen to him play it on Christmas Eve on his harmonica. And uh, just have a real, really amazing memories uh, as far as choral music. And and I think still, still, still is a German Christmas carol originally, isn't
5: it? Steve? Sheila, Sheila. Yes. Oh, you, yeah. You know what, what wow. I, I think about, it's just so fun that you and I shared this. We have, John and I share so many things, and and he has had tremendous loss in his life as well. And one of the things that sort of bonded us, even in the beginning, was... This moment when I, I had lost my mother, and um, John and I went on this little tour. It was kind of laughable to even think about calling it a tour, but we just went sort of on this local thing. And I remember we were sharing the same hotel room, and he just started asking me questions. And I started talking about my mom and how much I miss her. And he starts talking about his sister, Roseanne, mm-hmm. who passed away far too early as well, and who was just as uh, as incredible as a, of a musician, and we started sharing funny the funny stories too. back and forth mm. we, we started sharing funny stories back and forth, and we stayed up all night wow. just laughing and crying together and and That was such a bonding moment for me and i have never forgotten how John gave his night gave his is that night yeah. for me just to me to need, I needed that and I kind of think about this Christmas season, this might be one of the best Christmas carols for us this season because. We're not going to have family. We may not have as much family surrounding us, but it might be a quieter Christmas season. And if so, listening to the song Still, 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 perhaps we can reunite with those people that wish they could be with us at Christmas time and think about them and feel them around us.
1: I love that. So I, cool, that that's so beautiful because it is going to be a different Christmas for everyone. And, 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 f- um, and for a lot of us, this is a this is one of of, of great loss. And so I, I appreciate that. And I think music can can tap into that a little bit um, and help us to express things that we don't otherwise know really how to express.
6: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I, I'm just uh, the, the longer I'm around music, the more I'm blown away that God is really into—a real priority for Heavenly Father is comfort. Mm-hmm. And and I, that used to sound really cheesy to me, but the more you think about it, think about how many things in this world are geared toward comfort. Mm-hmm. And music is just one of thousands. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got—you can add to the list pets, you can, you know, nature, there's so much, uh, you know. I will, I won't leave you comfortless. He's, he's mm-hmm. always emphasizing comfort, you know, mm-hmm. in this, in this crazy situation that, that Eve was
5: brave enough to get us into. You know, we, he knew we'd need, we'd need comfort. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a comforting thing to think about. Roseanne and my mom actually performing together somehow. i, I don't know how it works there. I all I know is I have not seen. ear have not heard what is in store for us and so that must mean that the sound systems in heaven actually don't have technical problems which would be incredible (laughs) and and just the thing about my mom and Roseanne jamming together during Christmas time always brings me not only comfort but absolute (laughs) joy just Uh. to think of that oh man it's so fun to think of
1: just the memory yeah. well very well said thank you so much john schmidt and steven sharp nelson from the piano guys you both are always welcome on the show thank you for coming home for the holidays with the lisa show on byu radio
0: Welcome to The Lisa Show.
1: We talk about parenting a lot on this show and different ways to make it sort of easier, life hacks, if you will. And there's no way around it. It's just hard. Yeah. I mean, we acknowledge that. I sure. acknowledge that. Uh, my parenting experience has been like these real hills and valleys of of excitement. Like, mm-hmm. this is great. I got a new system. This is how we're going to finally get everybody to put their dirty dishes in the dishwasher instead of... The sink. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I I like to think of my parenting experience, and I'm being serious. You know when you you see like in movies or on the television after an earthquake and the little Richter scale needle (laughs) just goes up and down really fast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's how I feel like. I'm like really good, really bad, really good, really bad. Yeah, That's, confident, yeah, yeah, yeah. doubting every
1: choice yeah. that I ever made. Yeah, uh, because then there's the moments where you just feel like, I don't know, I don't want to constantly be nagging. My kids' parenting is more than just dishes. It's, <laughs> uh, it's so many things. And then I get overwhelmed, and then I get excited again about like, <laughs> no, but this is the future, the hand that rocks the cradle. Like... It's a lot and it's overwhelming and we're all going to take a collective sigh. Yeah, a deep breath and wondering sometimes not only why it's so confusing, but what we can do to focus in and be really intentional about making those decisions that will have the greatest impact, not only for our kids, but for us too, for that family environment. Well, there exists parenting strategies and advice to help demystify parenting, right? And it can be hard to know which parenting strategy is right for you and your child. And I would also say that along those same lines, every kid's different, yeah, right? I was just and and say. you are different at different times in your life and so being able to adjust is part of parenting as ever uh, as well. And one such prominent strategy is positive parenting. Have you heard of this? Mm-hmm. And so, here to discuss both the positives and negatives of positive parenting. Wait a minute. Now I know, I'm confused. I know, I like that. Is psychologist and author of the blog, The Art and Science of Mom, Dr. En- Emily Endlin. Welcome, Dr. Endlin. Thanks for being here.
7: Good morning. Good morning. I'm happy to be here. Can you explain just a basic overview
1: about what positive parenting really is?
7: Yes. Yeah, so, in a very quick nutshell, Positive parenting is a philosophy and practice that is emphasizing emotional responsiveness, you know, starting in infancy, and really viewing discipline through this lens of firm compassion, um, trying to understand problem behaviors through what's going on emotionally underneath the problem behaviors. And then another key part of positive parenting that I'll talk more about is Mm -hmm. this idea of viewing our interactions with our children now as part of shaping our whole lifelong relationship with them. No pressure.
0: So so I want to ask (laughs) and pick up a couple things because on a base level, you used a couple words that I want to make sure that people understand. Yeah. uh, Both uh, emotional response as well as firm compassion. Can you kind of break those down a little bit?
7: Sure. So emotional responsiveness is that idea, you know, starting in infancy is part of forming a secure, healthy attachment. Is when our baby cries, we try and figure out what's wrong mm-hmm. and help our baby, right? So right. it's very much just kind of building that emotional rhythm. We start to learn what different cries mean over time. Um, so that's really the idea of emotional responsiveness. And uh, that and then, kind of firm compassion? <clears throat> Yeah, so firm compassion is also consistent with what we know about parenting. That this, I don't know, have you heard of authoritative parenting? Yeah. Um, have I heard yeah. of it? <laughs> <laughs> that's so when you say here.
1: my way or the highway, right?
7: No, that's authoritarian, like oh. a dictatorship. Yeah. So authoritative is the kind of good approach where. You are dis- you are setting limits with your children because limits are very important. But mm-hmm. you're also within the context of a warm, loving relationship. both so okay. That balance. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, the theory of, of of positive parenting. What's the history of it? How, how widely has it spread um, in the country?
7: So. You know, it looks like it really kind of took shape around early 90s when positive psychology as a field started to pick up momentum, and that idea is really focusing on strengths and you know positives rather than illness or problems. Uh, and you know, I would say just anecdotally, mm-hmm. I see p- positive parenting articles and posts and advertisements more than I do of any other Hmm. kind of branded type of parenting. So I'm not sure how to say how widespread it's being used, but I think it's very prevalent in our parenting world.
1: So help us understand what the impact of positive parenting could be for us, because I feel like you know, speaking as a mom who is very involved and wants to be a good parent and and yep. has gone through, you know, decades of parenting, <laughs> trying to get it right. It can seem overwhelming. Right. All of these different ideas and philosophies. Oh, now we're doing this. Oh, we don't do yeah. that anymore. We do this now. Yes. And and, mm. and it can make you feel sort of obsolete and confused. So what what are those helpful aspects of parenting? um uh, positive parenting that you feel are worth our, our, our time and focus.
7: Yeah. And I, I think you bring up such a good point. It's honestly undermining all of us to try and follow all these trends, right? right. Because it's so confusing and it's stressful. So I think it's, Taking things back to basics of parenting and positive parenting does have elements of that. The whole responsiveness idea that I talked about Mm -hmm. is a basic part of parenting. And you know what? Most of us are wired biologically to just do that. Just to respond when
1: our baby cries or when our kid is upset to respond to them.
7: Yes. We don't have to worry so much that we don't know what to do. And I think that's part of it is relaxing and, and trusting that we've been doing this as a species (laughs) (laughs) for a very long time to keep our human, you know, race alive. So that's encouraging. (laughs) um, (laughs) It's okay. And I, you know, I do think that the, the other idea around in positive parenting is really building up our kids skills of regulating their emotions Mm -hmm. and understanding their emotions. And as a, a child psychologist, I'm a huge fan of that. Right. I mean, Giving our kids the skills to identify how they're feeling, you know, learn how to express it in a way that's appropriate is a really important life skill that's going to help them manage all kinds of stress in their life. So those are very important um, aspects. Yeah.
0: We're talking with Dr. Emily Edlin about the the challenges and also the advantages of positive parenting. It's interesting as we as you were talking about the the trends that kind of Mm. come and go within parenting, it also sort of reminds me of diet trends. Oh yeah, sure. At one point it's Mm. the this kind of parenting and then it's the keto type of parenting. That's obviously a, a, a far fetched example, but it does seem that they come really quick. But this seems to be kind of the steady hold on how to raise kids.
7: Well, these aspects of
1: positive parenting. Yes, 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 <laughs> well, what, yes, yes. Yeah.
7: Well, that's right. a
1: good point. What are some of yeah. those negative aspects <laughs> of positive parenting that you find problematic?
7: Yeah. So, and I'm gonna I'm gonna speak about this both as a professional and also as a mother. You know, who has who has also kind of tried some of these approaches and struggled myself. And I think that you know, a lot of the positive parenting I read is about this idea of every interaction is part of our lifelong relationships with our kids. Be kind and loving. There is so much pressure to that. And <laughs> I think it's totally unrealistic. Like, think about if you're in an intimate relationship with your partner, is every interaction amazing? No. You know, like, there's going to be those messy times. Yeah. Um, and so I think what ends up happening if we have this pressure of, okay, my three-year-old is throwing this huge tantrum. I need to stay kind and loving. Right. Um, <laughs> when you just want to say,
1: knock it off. Like,
7: yeah, I'm so tired. Like, <laughs> this is the fourth one today. Like, yeah. Can we stop? Um, then we are repressing our own emotion, right? Mm. You know, like the yeah. frustration, you know, we're just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And what ends up happening is exactly the opposite of what we want, which is either exploding, mm-hmm. right, which is, you know, then causes more problems. Sure. Or it's that chronic buildup that really, you know, long term ends up being a risk for anxiety and depression. And, you know, especially mothers these days are at a higher risk for developing both anxiety and depression. So I think there's a real balance there of how to also really respect our own emotional experience as we're parenting.
1: Well, because it seems like this idea of positive parenting doesn't leave a ton of room for expressing negative emotions, like frustration and anger. How do you, what, what, what do you wish that parents knew about expressing those kinds of emotions? Um,
7: either in front of their kids or with their kids. Right. So I actually think it can be a really important part of the whole, you know, emotional development of our children for them to see how their behaviors, reactions are affecting our emotions. Yeah. Um, and with some parameters, we don't want to lose control. Right. So you know, losing control can be scary and we don't want to scare our children. Right. Um, we also don't want our intense emotion to be so overwhelming, they feel like they have to take care of us. Yeah. So those are the two like go somewhere else to have those strong mm-hmm. emotions, um, get a break and lift some support network there. Um, but in terms of kind of the trenches of the day to day interactions with our kids. Um, to say, you know, I'm getting really frustrated here. <laughs> yeah, I put and
1: myself I, in a timeout before. So
7: yeah, and you know what? That's modeling to them ways to calm themselves down. Mm. If they, if you're sort of narrating your own experience, it is modeling. Yeah. You know, for what they can do. When it's their turn. That's it what, may take a few years. Yeah, but...
0: right. <laughs> you, you sit the kids down and you introduce them to mommy's scream pillow, which, yeah, right. <laughs> all right, so when mom has this pillow or and Dad. she screams into yeah. it, that, that means she's had quite a bit
1: enough. <laughs> I'll just say, I just need to take a minute, Yeah, and then I will respond yeah. in just a moment. Yeah. Just a moment, please. Hold, please. <laughs> yep, Leaves the room. That's pretty yeah. much that seems uh, familiar. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, it can
0: be overwhelming, you know, as, as, we, as we engage this. We just want what's best for our kids. We just yeah. want to be the yeah. best parents ever. Can we talk a little bit about just giving ourselves a little bit of a break as well?
7: Yeah. That is my mission in my parenting voice out there is Aww. that we need to be nicer to ourselves. Because we are actually only doing a disservice to our children when we are not. So it's for the sake of parenting, actually, to really be able to take care of ourselves in meaningful ways, not just, you know, have a glass of wine. That's not really, (laughs) you know, deep enough self-care. And, you know, I will say I I really want to point out Mm -hmm. that authenticity in our relationships is really important. To be authentic is a way to be close. And again, you know, appropriately, but being real with our kids is part of building this close relationship. And that means making mistakes and yelling every once in a while and having our own little meltdowns, you know, and admitting I'm working on this, you know, having that talk with, with our kids. This is something I'm working on. Um, and I think it's really powerful.
1: And don't you feel that this is something that's sort of generationally new or different? Yeah. <laughs> because it feels to me that I sometimes talk to my kids in a in a way that's different than my my parents would have talked to me, say, or my grandparents would have talked to their parents. You know, I I feel that that sometimes in our quest to sort of get back to the basics, sometimes we feel like we need yeah. to go back in time. Um, right. And, and maybe that reveals sort of like, you know, a struggle of like, oh, I shouldn't tell my kids I messed up <laughs> or but but one yeah. gift of raising teenagers has given me is is the knowledge of, oh, they they see everything and they pick up yeah. on everything. And you're not fooling anyone.
7: anyone. No, no. Um, you know, I would say that in terms of back to basics with parenting, what. My biggest gripe with current parenting is how child-centered everything has become. Mm-hmm. And that is part of, it's been, you know, developing over the last 20 years or so, is very child-centered focused. Well, time explain we a little bit more about, kids? yeah, what, what you mean by that for those who may be unfamiliar. So the amount of time, I mean, it's been documented research that, you know, we spend with our kids is like triple what it was in the 70s. While we're also working more hours. So you put that together. Do the math. And carry the the one. Mm -hmm. You know, add the stress as a multiplier. (laughs) Oh, I like that. And it is a tough, tough combination for us. And I think what I really want to do out there is shift this whole child-centered trend back to a more balanced, it's not all about the parent and the adult either, mm-hmm. but it, it's not all about the kids. And, you know, a lot of parenting books, it's the whole what's important is yourself in relation to your child, mm-hmm. you know, and how you're responding to your child, and that comes first. When I think it needs to be more balanced than that for all of us, for the well being of all of us.
0: You know, there will undoubtedly be mm, wow. people that are listening to this that this really resonates with. Unfortunately, the Internet is a vast uh, supply of yeah. information, both good and bad. <laughs>
1: Thank you. What, yeah. <laughs>
0: what, what What are some good resources that people can go to if they're like, yes, this is so much me. I need this. Yeah, I, I need more or, information. Or, dif- yeah, or different, different clearly mm. than what I'm doing. Where Where do you recommend people go?
7: Well, I think for one thing, I'm just going to give a little like if anything ever says this works for everyone, ignore it. I mean that's <laughs> just impossible, right? And so right. there, there are little hints like this is not true of parenting. So I think anything you read, if it appears more balanced and flexible, and if this than that, it's a much more reliable source. Um, and you know there are like American Academy of Pediatrics is a nice, like central, you know, source that I think has good references to other sources for parenting. Um, you know, in my blog, Emily, i I use a lot of resources in my article posts um, and mm-hmm. I vet anything I put in my articles. So um, I won't, I include anything that has, is sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it can be very difficult to discern. I also think if you are reading something or trying something with parenting and you are feeling really terrible about yourself, yeah, then it's not working. Yeah. Just abandon ship. Right. Yeah, it's right. just not working. <laughs> Move on to the next.
1: I, I, I love what you're sharing uh, because it feels so attainable and and and. Uh, again, positive, but in the best way, not in the toxic yeah. way. We have just a little bit of time left. In that time, I'd love for you, if uh, you feel comfortable being able to share an example of a time that you pivoted and changed an idea of how you were parenting um, and
7: and how it was successful. Sure. I actually have so many examples. Where do I start? Um, you know, I have... I, one of my I have three children, and one of them is an especially easygoing. Where the other two are more intense, so I have the temperament range. Um, but this this one uh, is very sensitive, very emotional, and she went through this phase of just bursting into tears at every little thing. Mm-hmm. And you know, my mom heart, flash child psychologist nature is comforting, right? Comfort. Mm-hmm. And figure out what's going on. So I did that for a few months and then I'm like, she keeps just falling apart. And so I I pivoted because honestly, it was kind of annoying. Yes. And I don't mean like No, I but I know what you mean. <laughs> it wasn't serving her. It was annoying the people around her. And I just thought, we got so I just started to pivot to, you know what, you we gotta let some stuff go. You yeah. can't get upset over every little thing. Let's figure out how to let stuff go. Go, and that was—I never thought I would be saying to my child, "Let it go," <laughs> like get over it, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, hey. But you know what? I—I I noticed the switch, you know, mm. and um, it's part of. Also, I think what's missing a lot is this idea of how our kids can self-soothe, like do their own management. They don't need us to do it all for them. Um, And so for them to build up that confidence that I can figure this out, I don't need to run to mom and dad every time I'm upset or have a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah, what a fantastic story. Thank you for sharing that with us. appreciate your vulnerability. Dr. Emily Edlin is a psychologist and author of the blog, The Art and Science of Mom. You can find it online in addition to more great positive parenting information. Her blog is Emily
1: Edlin with two N's, phd.com. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show. We'll be right back. You're listening to Lisa Valentine Clark and Richie T. It's The Lisa Show. Hey, you're listening to The Lisa Show. Now we all know an artist or a musician that just owns their creative field, right? Well, when we think about being creative ourselves, these people can contribute to those feelings of us making it feel like we're, it's impossible for us to add something to that or to be creative at all and compound that with you know, we're so busy. We don't have time to stop and be creative. It's easy to come up with a lot of excuses. Sure. Not to I do it. I am
0: creative but the excuses that I come up yeah. for not being creative. <laughs> it's so
1: ironic. Mm. That's a good point. So, how can we incorporate creativity into our everyday lives? We've invited Shelly Spots, who has a master's of fine arts and an emphasis on creative nonfiction, to join the conversation. Well, and I also have to mention, you're the perfect person to invite here because you're also a seamstress, violinist, a crafter, caterer, wedding cake creator. More, I mean, talk about fitting creativity into your everyday life um, with this crazy schedule. Welcome, Shelley. Thank you. Thanks Good for morning. being here.
0: I'm looking around for a sweet treat, so I saw. I, know. I as the soon as I treats, said wedding
1: cake, I brought no Decorating. Mm. He got distracted. No, no. But-, <laughs>
8: but that you know that is something I've done. Um, I always say that a, a writer, which is primarily what I like to do, is um, curious about everything. So uh, the jack of all trades, master of none. I've tried. <laughs> I've dabbled in a little bit of everything, which lends itself a lot to creativity, to being able yeah. to look at. One one endeavor and say, oh, I can add something mm-hmm. from this to that. I remember doing um, a cake once for an opening. It was a gallery opening for James Christensen. And so Which for I, if people don't know who
0: James Christensen he's is. He's an artist. Okay.
8: And he paints primarily like fairies and dragons painted. He's he's deceased now. But um, I made this cake and I'm like, it needs something. And I'm looking around going, oh, will I sew? Um I have this silk, gold silk. I, I'm gonna make a paper mache dragon, and <laughs> so, I, so you know, sometimes it, it was unexpected, yeah. um, but it was fun. And and sometimes it's it's the ability to look at like wildly different things and say, hey, I can put these things together, but and and make something right. that's new.
1: Just saying that and doing it are two different things, and a lot of people will be very inspired, like myself, and think, oh, yeah, I want to be more like that. But creativity, when we are looking at it from the outside, can seem so daunting. And, and like it requires, I don't know, so much time. How, how can we be more like you and just incorporate and just say, I'm going to figure it out? I think part of that is just a
8: willingness to try anything. I think also a part of it is getting over the fear of being judged for what we're trying. Mm. Because a lot of the roadblocks to our cre- creativity comes when we're unwilling to try because it might not be as good as something that someone else is doing. Mm. So I think that's one thing that's a problem. I think the other thing that's a problem is that we have certain expectations for creativity. Creativity looks like art. Creativity looks like music. Creativity looks like this type of thing. And and that's not always true. For my oldest three children, I know um, they are all in theater. And so for my oldest son, creativity looks like um, mapping a lighting uh, schedule for a show, even a show he's not doing, because that's fun for him. He'll be like, if I were to do this show, this is what I would do, oh, or wow. playing with sound. And that is creativity for him. And then along comes my fourth child, who is a towering giant of a 16-year-old who plays football. And and all the way through junior high, he was in plays. And he's like... I. Can I just play football? <laughs> We're like, well, try this thing. It's creative. It'll help, right? And so uh, we made a deal with him that in the ninth grade he could he could play football. His brain would be mature enough that he could make that decision. And he started doing that. He loves it. He is passionate about it. And I realized sitting and listening to him one day, just go on for twenty and thirty minutes about football plays. And mom, then we do this. And mom, then we do this. And if we did this, then this person would not be able to get bias. And I realized that for him, that is creativity. Mm. And it looks different. So we have to be able to be open to the fact that we are not all creative in the same way. And that's okay. So, So our creative outlets might... Come in different places, in different spaces. My father loves to garden and get out into his yard. And for him, that is like a creative expression. And nothing sounds worse to me than spending a July day out in the yard <laughs> <Right>. weeding <laughs> under a hot sun. And, and I, I'm like, I will be inside writing about you weeding. That's <laughs> right? that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. I I will have my cold drink and and my computer. So, yeah, this this idea that that creativity all has to be the same is just sort of against the very nature.
1: Well, I love that you're starting this conversation really with this almost like caution, don't compare yourself, yeah. like the output of it, how you do it, how you express it. Don't overthink it and don't compare yourself to other people. And yet I've, I feel like you really hit the nail on the head because that's what stops most of us, whether it's conscious or unconscious from, from doing that. Um, and then another element of this conversation that I really want to get your perspective on is this idea of like inspiration when you have to feel inspired or, or have a creative muse and, Talk about your perspective on what what you've learned. Right. So this is something that's been handed down to
8: us like as long ago as the ancient Greeks, right? Creativity is something that is bestowed upon you (laughs) by some outside source. We're not responsible for our own creativity. We're waiting to be struck by the inspirational lightning bolt, right? Mm -hmm. I can count exactly one time in all of the times I've written anything that I feel like I've been struck by this inspirational, you must write this thing right now. A lot of creativity comes down to work, first of all, and a lot of it comes down to exploring your own creative process and knowing what works for you. I had a writing teacher when I was an undergrad who just expounded at length upon the beauty of 5 a.m. You will be the most productive writer you have ever been. If you can get up and you can write at 5 a.m., and I tried, and I'm like, my alarm is set for four forty five I am yeah. getting up i am ge- and it just does not work for me and for me creative creative times are two in the afternoon or two in the morning mm-hmm. and so it looks very different so it is exploring your own process, not relying on what someone else is saying, and also seeing creativity as a process not a not like an instant yeah. so you're not being struck by something but you're engaging in in what makes you feel creative the times the places and try different places you know i tell my writers go write in a coffee shop yes that's like the picture of a writer <laughs> but try a park try your living room try your bedroom try yeah. all of the different spaces and see what works for you try with different types of music on um, i accidentally realized that when my kids were little and i was trying to write i would i would put a hair, pair of noise blocking headphones on and I would put the same soundtrack on every time. Mm. So, cause it just blocked out the noise yeah. and it was, a, it was, there were no words and I could concentrate. And what I realized once a couple of years later, one of the songs from that soundtrack track came on and I was like, I must go right. <laughs> and I had accidentally created this space where when I got into that space and was listening to that thing, my brain went, oh, it's time to be creative now. Wow. So, so let's go do the thing that you always do when you listen to this. Like Pavlovian yeah, response. Yeah, it, it almost is. You have to work with your brain and say, okay, brain, now is the time to yep. be creative. What are we doing?
0: Interesting. Wow. We're talking with Shelly Spots about uh, being able to find creativity uh, in our everyday life, being able to create those moments of creativity, which is one thing that I would like to go a little further at. I think people listening are like, yeah, we need to be more creative or have, at very least have the desire to do it. And then real quick, they become their biggest roadblock, right? They go, yeah, creative. Oh, kids this, <laughs> spouse this, You know, I really oh, ought to clean the this. kitchen yeah, first yeah, yeah. before I sit down. Like, l- We will come up with anything to not be creative. You mentioned with particular – with writing, like, hey, go to a different place and be able to work out that exercise. Is there just a general creative um, maybe uh, moment creation that you could give us or some sort of idea? If we're struggling with creativity, Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily writing but just creativity in general that we can go do
8: I think uh, play comes into it a lot, looking at things from a different perspective, from a more playful perspective, where we can look and say, okay, uh, there are these certain expectations on my time. Mm. I have to take care of kids. I have to take care of work. I have to take care of home. But how can I do it in a manner that brings creativity in what I'm already doing? Mm. So it's not necessarily maybe looking at everything as having one right answer. Mm. I have to do it this way. But being able to look at it and say, okay, what are the various ways I could do this? Yeah. How can I be creative in what I am already doing? Mm. How can I be creative in how I'm taking care of my kids, in how I am doing things at work, in how I'm taking care of my home, in my interactions with people? I love, there's a great uh, TED Talk on YouTube that talks about the places where good ideas happen. The um, shower. Yeah, <laughs> right? The shower yeah. happens. Um, Whenever I'm eating. On on <laughs> jogs. I, yeah, I don't man. know about that one. I don't jog. Uh, <laughs> in the car. Every time I get in the car, I have great – I'm like, I can't write these things down. I am driving. But some of those creative moments happen when we turn off the distractions mm-hmm. and we allow our brain to work unimpeded. But our body is physically – like doing something else. So engaging in physical activity, in like conversations with people, good ideas are going to happen and good ideas are going to come if we're aware of them. Mm. If we if we get past the distractions of thinking, oh, that's just a thought I have, uh, but it's not the right way to do it. So I'm not going to listen to that.
1: thought. So how do we fine tune that, that that process then of just having an idea and and doing something with it instead of just letting it float away? I think you have to, it's
8: very metacognitive where you have to Mm -hmm. look at those ideas and say, okay, what are the additional ideas that are coming into my head? Um, I know this is the traditional way I I do this thing, I make this decision, but what else is out there floating? And I'm going to try it. I'm going to deliberately try and act on one or two of these ideas I have and see how they turn out. Mm -hmm. And they might be a disaster and disasters are okay. Failure is okay. Failure you grow from, you learn from, you go, okay, well, that's one way not to do that thing. Um, But you might discover like a great way to to do something that you are always doing in a new way that's more creative, that brings new ideas into the conversation, whatever that conversation
1: is. I think an element of, of this conversation about how to be more creative and how to Play more and stuff like it is also by just gathering information. I know that I'm very inspired by what other people are doing in different creative fields, and so maybe like following them on social media or having a conversation with them or going to an art museum or seeing a beautifully decorated cake or you know whatever or a, a gold eating that beautifully on, decorated cake yeah. on a cake can be very inspiring. What is that kind of connection like between? You know, what What kind of, uh, I want to say, sort of ambiance, uh, you know, of, of living a creative life? So it's just creating the space for yourself to be to be a creator, to to look at
8: things in a new way. I love to take my classes out of the classroom. And, you know, we're going to meet on the quad today and, and we're going to have a class discussion or we're going to go to a museum or mm-hmm. we're going to go down by a duck pond and do what we have to do it's getting out of your usual spaces because one of the things that we have to do is we have to realize that the raw material we put into our brains is what we have to work with. So one of the things that was always really interesting to me when I was in grad school is the very serious creative writers who were like, right. I am only, I am, I am an artist in a tower. I am only going to write from my own brain and I am only going to take creative writing classes. I was the most inspired in grad school when I was taking classes that had nothing to do with my major, that was like, that looks interesting. I am going to take that class just, just to see what they're saying, to see what the conversation yeah. is. And you work those things into your life, and you start to make unexpected connections. So I think the more we can get out of the little bubble we create for ourselves, the more we can talk to new people, have great conversations, see new things, get to a museum, get to a mall. This is why writers do write in coffee shops. It's so that they can steal conversations <laughs> yeah. and and look at people passing by and go oh that's an idea I, c- I can work with that
0: why do you think we need to do this i think there will be people that will be listening to this conversation and be like eh, not for me yeah i don't need it
8: i think everyone needs creativity in their life even if that creativity is only put towards making for themselves a rewarding life experience um Mother Teresa famously said that we don't do great things. We do small things with great love. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to creativity. We do the small things in our life, but we want to do them with love. We want to do them with care. We want to do them with passion. And so if we can bring creativity into the small things that we do every day, we can, we can make a difference in how we feel about
1: our life and how we're living it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're in a, if you're in a rut you, or you find yourself listening and thinking oh yeah yeah I'm on board I miss this from my life I want more of it but I just feel like oh I'm in a rut or I'm stuck what advice do you give uh, to incorporate and spark more creativity
8: I think it's easy to get in ruts Um, my kids complain that we get in ruts with food we eat this right (laughs) I make the same things for dinner well you find something that works right you go everyone likes it and it's easy to do and I know how to do this thing so I'm going to make it um You need to challenge yourself. So last night my son suggested, he's like, Mom, you have 25 cookbooks. I am going to get one of those cookbooks (laughs) out, and we're going to make something different from that every night. And I was like, okay, that's a challenge. I think you need to challenge yourself. I think you need to do something that scares you. Hmm. I think you need to thrive in sort of those awkward, unexpected places. We are so afraid of feeling out of our depth. Uh And we need to take the opportunity to feel out of our depth, because that's when new inspiration and new ideas come to us.
0: Absolutely. Take the opportunity to be scared or to try something new. Shelly Spots is an adjunct English instructor at Brigham Young University. She's working on Voices Heard and Unheard. is a collection of women's stories collected at the United Nations Commission on the Status of Women, which she attended as an advocacy writer in New York City just this last March. You can follow her on Twitter at Spotted Pen. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to The Lisa Show.
1: It's time for Lisa's Home for the Holidays with The Piano Guys here today. Today we have with us John Schmidt. Welcome.
5: Thank you.
1: And Stephen Sharp Nelson. Thanks for being here.
5: Thank you, Lisa. Pleasure to be on the show today.
1: So you guys, you're the Piano Guys. (laughs) (laughs) You're the guys. I love it. Um, Tell me how (laughs) you guys work. That's how it works. You know, how did you come up with that name? Number one.
5: Steve, that's all I can say. (laughs) You don't play the piano, do you, Steve? I oh. do play the piano, but when you're next to John, nobody plays the piano, for heaven's sake. I mean, you don't feel like you <laughs> play the
1: piano. You leave John but plays gosh. the piano. Stephen, you play the cello. So hey, you, you got it right. Some people Thank say you. the big violin. <laughs> yeah. hey. the, big, the big violin. How did you guys come together? And, and tell us a little bit about your story.
5: So it, it all started in a little piano store in St. George. And uh, it, this piano store owner, Paul Anderson, he just started getting tired of selling pianos the same way everybody was selling pianos.
4: (laughs) Okay. Uh,
5: No offense on a radio show, for instance, or, or like, (laughs) or on billboards or newspaper ads, you know, the the conventional things. And, and he just decided, this was sort of at the genesis of YouTube and social media as it was Mm -hmm. burgeoning. And he thought, I'm going to use social media. I'm going to use YouTube to sell pianos. He just had this crazy zany idea. And, One day, in walks John Schmidt to his piano store, because John was playing a gig in Tuacon, which he often did. Mm -hmm. And he said, hey, can I practice on one of your store pianos while I warm up for this gig? And Paul said, absolutely. Have at it. Play any piano you want. And Paul had known John's work, so he said, John, I've got this crazy idea. Could I film you playing my store pianos? And I'll upload the videos to this YouTube channel I've just created called The Piano Guys. That's where the name mm-hmm. came from. Oh and, then, and then he's like, he gets this sort of zany, crazy look in his eyes. And then he says, and then, John, we will sell tons of pianos. <laughs> it's sort of this like world mm-hmm. domination scheme, you know? And um, so John pulled me in because we'd been playing together for a long time. John and I had been playing together for 20 years, way before the piano guys. Mm-hmm. And I had just moved on to the same street as Al Vanderbeek, music producer. I pulled him in because he had helped me actually move in and said, I've got a studio. Let's, you know, record together. And in no time, this is just the four of us just having fun, trying to sell a few pianos on the side. Now, if you fast forward to today, we've got just our 10th album with Sony, 1.5 billion views with over 80 videos on YouTube, and we still haven't sold a piano. (laughs) that still
6: haven't sold a piano that's a laugh line actually
5: actually that's 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 a laugh line we actually have started the piano store again it's an online thing and we actually are selling pianos that's the funny full circle of the story so so the the, the short the short of it is i just came late that's why i wasn't included on the name but john i know we couldn't change the name at that point so
6: you know everybody thinks i'm just a real egocentric guy. Yeah, and it's so, not like. all this. about Steve you, and I Sean. Both, Steve and I both wish we could change the name.
1: Yeah, but John, uh, you, you get to a point, all these albums and billions of views, that you, you, you can't change your name now.
5: Yeah, okay, oh, fine. Sorry. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm proud to how, be a piano guy. <laughs> Listen, I love the name. I love it. It's it's direct. It's to the point. It says what yeah. you what you do and then you're surprised when you watch the videos because you're like hey it's not just a bunch of piano guys it's so much more hey
6: if lisa thinks it's cool then it's cool that's what <laughs> i that's, thats what I was hoping for yep
5: that's uh, <laughs> my bucket list is complete yep
1: i love it well so this you know we are highlighting here on this show christmas music um we need it now more than ever uh, i think we can mm. all agree mm. and so i yeah. want to instead of Keep talking about it, I want to, to our listeners to be able to, to, to hear something from you. Um, tell us a little bit about this arrangement of angels we have heard on high.
6: Oh, you know, this is this is a fun one. I, it's one of those where you you take little snippets of all of your favorite Christmas songs that you love, mm-hmm. and you try to put little um, – it's a highlight reel. It's actually a highlight reel. If, if you listen carefully, you'll pick up little pieces of about ten, 10 – Different songs, at least, and I haven't really counted, but it's amazing. It just uh, turned out really fun.
5: You're going to hear all kinds of crazy sounds, but all the sounds you're about to hear were created with a piano. The percussion, even feeding a bow through it, and uh, all of the plucky notes that you're hearing—it sounds like a harp. That, yeah, all of this is just all of us surrounding the piano, using it, and putting ADHD to good use. Really, is what this (laughs) is.
6: And
5: singing,
6: and singing a little bit. Oh yeah, right.
1: And singing a little bit well without further ado the piano guys this is angels we have heard on high that was angels we have heard on high from the piano guys so who came up with this arrangement yeah we all
6: worked on it together but um it kind of hit the initial idea just kind of hit me in the middle of the night which is sometimes when the best ideas hit don't you think oh yeah but it, it was it was great it was uh, it was kind of a gift that, that arrangement felt like a, just a, a absolute gift
1: Oh, I love hearing that. That's really sweet. Um, you know, when we think about Christmas music, I it it hits a little bit differently, I think, for us uh, than than other types of music. For both of you, I'm going to ask you both this: When you think about your childhood, and and you think about the the quintessential like Christmas song that just takes you back to you know what Christmas means to you, what what song is that for you? Let's start with you, Stephen. <laughs>
5: For me, it's uh, without question, the song Still, Still, Still. Mm. The melody is transportive, but it was a a song my mom uh, would sing, and I lost her early on Mm. in my life and in her life. And she was a prodigious, prolific soprano, lyrical soprano, just the best of the best. And she gave up that career even though she didn't give up singing, she gave up a career in music to be my mom and to be the mom of my siblings, of course. And But I have a recording of her singing. it, oh. And when I play that, tears mm. cannot stop flowing. I think of her, but I think of her life and how her life represented the life of Christ to me. And the story of self-sacrifice and the story of eternal, infinite love, and feeling encircled in the arms of someone that you never want to leave. And that is the feeling I can imagine feeling when I finally get to meet Jesus. It's the same feeling I felt in the arms of my mother, who sang Still, 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 one of the most beautiful Christmas songs ever written, inspired, in my opinion. So it's a very, very special song to me.
1: Yeah. Mm. And John, try to follow that.
6: I'll say, gosh, man, that, that's my life. That is my that is my life with the piano guys. It's... <laughs> oh,
1: man, don't say, oh, I, the I really reindeer,
6: like, please. I really like, still, still, still. Yeah.
5: <laughs> Sorry. You can't take my answer, John. Sorry,
6: no, but I, but seriously, my, my sister and my brother who um, were amazing influences in my life, more mm-hmm. like parents. One was 12 years older and one was 11 years older. They started a choir. And oh, wow. the, Norman, the Norman Luboff arrangement of Still, Still, Still that they did with that choir. Yeah. And they put it, they put it on, uh, they made an album. <laughs> they oh, made wow. a Christmas album. Like, it was literally 40 years ago when I was a little kid. My <laughs> older brother and sister made a Christmas album. And they were they were such inspirations to me. I would go to to their choir rehearsals and just I would just be transfixed listening to them rehearse. And it was just it gave me an an eternal love for choral music. And Norman Luboff was was a was a great. He was sort of the John Rutter before mm-hmm. you know John Rutter probably before John Rutter was born. But anyway, I I, I absolutely loved that. And then my dad, you know was an immigrant from Germany, and I grew up listening to his choir, his German choir that he conducted, and the German Christmas carols are just, they're insane. It's incredible, these melodies of the German Christmas carols, and I would listen to his choir perform them with with the feeling and the spirit of his conducting, and I would listen to him play it on Christmas Eve on his harmonica. And uh, just have a real, really amazing memories uh, as far as choral music, and uh, and I think still, still, still is a German Christmas Carol originally, isn't it?
5: Steve? Sheila, Sheila. Yes. Yeah. You, you know what? what wow. I, I think about it's just so fun that you and I shared this. We have John and I share so many things, and and he has had tremendous loss in his life as well. And one of the things that sort of bonded us, even in the beginning, was this moment when I I had lost my mother. And um, John and I went on this little tour. It was kind of laughable to even think about calling it a tour. But we just went sort of on this local thing. And I remember we were sharing the same hotel room. And he just started asking me questions. And I started talking about my mom and how much I miss her. Mm -hmm. And he starts talking about his sister, Roseanne, Mm -hmm. who passed away far too early as well, and who was just... As uh, as incredible as a, of a musician, and we started sharing, sharing the funny stories too. back and forth. Mm. We we started sharing funny stories back and forth, and we stayed up all night, wow. just laughing and crying together. And and that was such a bonding moment for me, and I've never forgotten how John gave his night, gave his is is that night yeah. for me just to to need, I needed that, and I kind of think about this Christmas season. This might be one of the best Christmas carols for us this season because. We're not going to have family. We may not have as much family surrounding us, but it might be a quieter Christmas season. And if so, listening to the song still, 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 perhaps we can reunite with those people that wish they could be with us at Christmas time and think about them and feel them around us.
1: I love that. So I cool, that, that's Steve-o. so beautiful because it is going to be a different Christmas for everyone, and 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 for yeah. and for a lot of us, this is a this is one of 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 great loss, and so I, I appreciate that, and I think music can can tap into that a little bit um, and help us to express things that we don't otherwise know really how to express.
6: Yeah. Well, you know, I think I, I'm just uh, the the longer I'm around music, the more I'm blown away. That God is really into a real priority for Heavenly Father is comfort, mm-hmm. and and I, that used to sound really cheesy to me. But the more you think about it, think about how many things in this world are geared toward comfort, mm-hmm. and music is just one of thousands. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got you can add to the list pets, you can you know nature. There's so much, uh, you know. I will. I won't leave you comfortless. He's, he's always emphasizing comfort, you know, mm-hmm. in this in this crazy situation that that
5: Eve was brave enough to get us into. You know, we, he knew we'd need we'd need comfort. Absolutely, yeah. it's a comforting thing to think about. Roseanne and my mom actually performing together somehow. i, I don't know how it works there. I all I know is I have not seen. ear have not heard what is in store for us and so that must mean that the sound systems in heaven actually don't have technical problems which would be incredible (laughs) and and just the thing about my mom and Roseanne jamming together during Christmas time always brings me not only comfort but absolute (laughs) joy just Uh. to think of that oh man it's so fun to think of
1: just the memory. Yeah. Well, very well said. Thank you so much, John Schmidt and Stephen Sharp Nelson from The Piano Guys. You both are always welcome on the show. Thank you for coming home for the holidays with The Lisa Show on BYU Radio. turning our attention to running and marriage. You know, because they both go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, if you're planning to get married in New York, you might be lucky enough to have some surprise guests in your wedding pictures. The Wedding Hashers. Now, have you heard this? They're a group of runners who run past the Brooklyn Bridge and take pictures with as many wedding and recently married couples as possible. Uh, But don't worry about them ruining your wedding aesthetic. Oh, no, 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 no. They've thought of everything. The runners wear custom-made tuxedo running shirts so they just fit right in now mark alterman and his fellow uh wedding hashers dave also join us today to share their experiences about running into couples and taking pictures welcome mark
9: thank you very much lisa thank you very much for having us
1: you bet and welcome dave good morning okay so i gotta i gotta ask you uh you know this idea of it's a pretty specific one right run past the brooklyn bridge take as many pictures with as many wedding and recently married couples who came up with it where did you get this idea well, it kind of happened
9: organically. Um, a group of us, maybe about four years ago, a work group of us, uh, kind of formed just a little uh, after-work and lunchtime, a little running club, and uh, so we go on our, on, our, on uh, our regular runs, and the run takes us through Brooklyn Bridge Park, uh, which offers really a great view of the Brooklyn Bridge, the Manhattan Bridge, the whole lower Manhattan skyline, the Freedom Tower and about three years ago, we just noticed that you know there are a lot of wedding couples out there taking pictures uh, newly in- newly engaged couples, just married, taking pictures, and we thought it would be kind of a kick to just get in uh, get in the photo with them. So we just approached one of them and said, "Would it be okay if we took a shot with you?" <laughs> and we did, and they they thought it was great and, uh, and we thought it was great, and that's kind of how it was born and uh, you know from, from you know from there uh we've been doing we've been doing this ever since this was kind of like a, a staple of our runs now
1: was it awkward at all
9: it was kind of awkward because like you mentioned in the introduction um we didn't have at the, at the very beginning this was a regular run so we didn't have any tuxedo t-shirt or anything like that you were
1: not prepared for we a photo
9: because this wasn't even a thing at that point right so uh uh you know when we first approached them they looked at us a little bit strangely uh but then when we took the pictures you know it was all very congenial very friendly and they really uh, you know they enjoyed it and usually the couples just as this one did have their wedding photographer with them and they usually get a shot with their you know with their wedding uh <laughs> with their with their cameras too sure. so we like to think that we're in a lot of uh, a lot of wedding albums out there as well
1: uh, and, and the name wedding hashers what is why did you come up with this one
9: uh, well, it's kind of kind of a little bit of a takeoff on wedding crashers, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the uh, wedding hashing is kind of a thing uh, that involves really, uh, which we don't do, uh, running and drinking, and and it's kind of like scavenger hunting and mm-hmm. and things of that nature. So hey, wedding ha- uh, so hash running hashing is actually a thing. So we kind of uh, integrated the two of those together: crashing and hashing.
1: So uh, is it specifically just weddings? Have you have you crashed other uh, celebrations?
9: Well, we've done we've done quinceañeras. Uh uh we've done uh proms. I mean, we've done uh, many proms in uh in in June uh and any you know any time we see something formal going around, <laughs> right. we you know, we'll try to we'll try to get in on that. We're Anyone
1: actually... dressed up?
9: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So we kind of run with kind of like a, a, a our heads kind of on a swivel, just looking around. You know, if we, we especially looking for white. So if we see, a, you know, looking for wedding gowns and things like that. But if we see any, uh, you know, anything going on with some, you know, bright colors, things like that, we kind of head that way. We like to think of it as like, it's kind of like hunting or fishing, (laughs) except, you know, the prey out there are the wedding couples. But the good thing about it is they're happy to be caught also. Everybody's happy in the end.
1: Well, you're giving them a great story, aren't
9: you? We like to think we are.
1: Like, Um, oh my gosh, you guys, the craziest thing happened. We were taking, you know?
9: (laughs) Yeah. A story
1: they can tell.
9: In the article that was, um, that I think you saw us in possibly, uh, Jen Miller from the New York Times, a great writer, by the way. Yeah. Um, uh, she had, um, when she contacted me, she wanted to know if we kept in touch with any couple. Yeah. And uh, there was one couple uh, when we were running through the park one day um, that were just getting married in the park, and they were ma- they actually eloped. From Halifax, England, to get married, and they, they hooked up with an organization called "Eloping is Fun" here in New York City, and uh, the uh, the marriage was conducted by the Most Reverend Matt Levy, if you can believe that. Um, anyway, and he he did a he did an excellent job on the ceremony. But we kept in touch with with uh, the couple, uh, Daniel and, and uh, Danielle and James Ellerby and, you know, after the marriage, but what happened was they had actually asked us, you know, we asked them, you know, we, do, we did our usual stick, we ask, stick. We asked them if we could uh, take a photo with them. And they said, well, you know, we don't have any witnesses to the wedding. Would you guys mind being the witnesses? <laughs> and we said, we love that. So we kind of kind of extend our lunch hour a little bit that day because it was a Tuesday lunch hour. But we stuck around, and that's why we do the Thursday night runs now. But we, st- we stuck around, uh, and we were the witnesses. We signed the wedding, uh, the wedding contract. Oh, wow. And uh, like I said, we, we, we have kind of kept in touch with them. How are they and doing? They're great, actually. And Danielle, actually, a couple of weeks ago, um, she sent me a picture of us on their refrigerator. And she said, <laughs> "That's the, the question that they get about their wedding, the oh. most often asked question about their wedding is, who are these guys in the tuxedo T-shirts?
1: Oh, I'm sure. And, yeah. Oh, so, I love it now, when you talk about you guys, how many of of there are you
9: there's five of us uh it's myself and david it's david louis who um who's with me today uh Yemi Kahende rich Freeman and tracy cooper
1: and and, and how so, cool. how long that's, have you guys been running together
9: we've now. Like I said, we've been running together of, uh about our group is about um maybe about four years old a little bit and we run you know we run uh races on the weekends, uh, you know, together and apart, you know, any any you know, very uh, of various distances. Uh I know Rich did a Half marathon trail run this weekend. Dave did the Staten Island marathon. I did a five K. So you're um, real
1: runners. I mean, this ri- isn't just an excuse to get in pictures. You're runners first right. and, R- and wedding crashers wants- second.
9: Rich wants us to emphasize that we're actual runners. We you know yeah. that uh, that uh you know, this isn't just a goofy thing. No oh, we're okay with it being Well
1: a goofy runners take thing, themselves
9: totally very okay. seriously, I yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. So Rich wants to make sure that he's taken seriously.
1: <laughs> I love it. I'm okay
9: with the goofball tag, but Rich wants to be turned on. Right,
1: right. Okay, Rich, we we got you. Right. We're talking with Mark Alterman. Also with us is is Dave, one of the the wedding hashers that are a group of runners that are inspired to take pictures with every newly married couple they pass. Um, you know, on your wedding day, would you take a picture with a bunch of sweaty strangers? Well, you
9: know, people have asked before. some people were very you know cynical initially uh you know saying oh, you, you know it's new york city you know, you're not going to get anybody to take a picture with you um you know they're going to look at you like you're you're crazy and then just shoo you away yeah. but you know vir- we we get a good response from virtually everyone and we do say to them You know, we're not, you know, we're kind of sweaty right now. We're not going to touch you. So we just have a couple of signature poses that we do (laughs) uh, that don't involve, you know, some of the, if the couples want to reach out and give us a, you know, a hug or something like that, we'll do it. But we don't, excuse me, we don't initiate that. Right. So how many
1: pictures do you think that you've
9: taken? Well, we pro- we with in terms of just wedding couple, uh yeah. wedding couples alone, we're up to about 212 wedding uh wedding couples. But oh, wow. uh, we do have I would say closer to like 300 between, oh, you know, all our other pictures with proms and quinceañeras mm-hmm. and you know and that kind of thing.
1: Uh now you mentioned these signature poses. Can you mm-hmm. describe some of them for me? Well, <laughs> I'm well, so intrigued. <laughs>
9: Well, we kind of just, our, our our main one, our central one, is kind of like a presentation thing. So we'll we'll stand off to the side of the couples, with kind of our arms outstretched, uh, and kind of present the present the couple. Sometimes we'll do a pointing. Sometimes we'll get down on our knees. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind, of, you know, that kind of levels. Thing. So levels in do-
1: a photo are really important.
9: Exactly. So we try to diversify. And, you know, sometimes they'll have their, you know, like I mentioned, most of the time, actually, they'll have their photographer there. And they're usually pretty creative. So sometimes they may oh, want to sure. get their own, you know, uh, shots that they're used to doing with wedding couples. So th- that actually helps a lot.
1: Um, so have you ever had a negative reaction? And how did you handle it, you know, when you approach someone to say, hey, can we take a picture? Oh,
9: I well, we've occasionally i would say about 95% of the time we get a positive reaction yeah um but we and every once are, in a while i'm sure though you know absolutely and the, and the, there are sometimes maybe maybe only about 10 or 12 where we've gotten some rejections and usually Uh, The issue is it's a language barrier. You know, it's New York City, so we see a lot of international couples, and when we approach them, they're really not sure what the thing is. They think Mm -hmm. we're like a Times Square Elmo looking for money or something like that. Right. Occasionally, we'll interrupt the photographer when he's really trying to catch a sunset shot or something like that, and they don't want to miss that opportunity. Oh, sure. Um, so that's you know that might be a problem, and very say one or two times the couple have been worried about where the picture may end up. You know, oh. they may end up somewhere, in a you know, on a place on the internet where they, you know, where they're not, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Who, 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 they're not. They're just not sure the uh, uh, of uh, the the place that yeah uh, where it, it, it will land eventually reside. And so I under. So we understand that. And David, I think, is much. You know, sometimes I could try to be a little bit pushy. I think Dave. <laughs> maybe you speak to this. But Dave automatically just says. Uh, let's go. I mean, yeah. if they don't want to take a picture, let's go. So uh,
1: picture. N- now that you told us that you had a little feud with Tom Hanks, the actor, and I need to know what that's all about.
9: Okay. I, would, I, 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 I wouldn't <laughs> say so much a feud because Tom doesn't even know right. um, <laughs> that there's a, actually a thing going sure. on. But very early on, when we started to, uh, taking the pictures, uh, you know, and, and posting them on our Facebook page, this is even before we had an Instagram uh, uh, place. Um, one one weekend, we're looking in a newspaper, mm-hmm. and we see a picture of Tom Hanks, who happened to be jogging uh, in Central Park, <gasps> and and ran into a couple. And this was after we started doing this, and then um, took a selfie with them. Now, first of all, we don't take selfies. Yeah, so we, come oh, on, ask, so, no, you're professionals. I, no, so I, obviously. But then we're thinking to ourselves, you know, Tom Hanks doesn't have enough going for him. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. And he's kind of now, <laughs> in on our act. I mean, this is how this is the only stick we have, and Tom right. Hanks is Yeah. Be, uh, right. Come so, on no, Tom Phoenix doesn't know we didn't try to contact him or anything right. and it looked like he was one and done it looked like he was a beaten man and sure. recognized it um but <laughs> you know I know we're on we're we're on a radio show now I know uh, you know it's a, it's a national show on yeah. Sirius so if, Tom, if Tom's out there and you know if he's up for a challenge he would like to challenge us to a you know a we- uh, you know a wedding hashathon you know, we're certainly yeah. up for it. You know, just name, name the time and the place.
1: Yeah, you guys are good contenders. So, Tom Hanks, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're listening. Come on. You've got movies. You've got – you don't need to take this the the running pictures away from these guys. Come on.
9: Exactly. Yeah,
1: I'm, I'm with you.
9: The man's got a lot on his plate.
1: He's got a lot going on.
9: Bless yes. him. Okay. And this is not, a, you know, for us. This is really one, you know, one of the central parts of our lives. I mean, this is a really a sidelight, for angst.
1: I, right. <laughs> the central part of your life versus a side thing, exactly. One.
9: My wife's going to kill me if I <laughs> say it's <the> central.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you. This has got to have an impacted. You know, it's it's not only the way that you exercise, it's kind of a, it's a fun social experiment. It's a way to get together with friends. Has it impacted your running? I mean, do, do you take your running less seriously now or even more
9: seriously? Um, I have to say i you know when we're doing the when we, when we do the run, it does slow us up a little bit at times. I know that, and then and sometimes <laughs> if we run into like five or six couples on a you know uh, on an evening, yeah uh, rich may start getting a little impatient when he's into the train- when he's into training mode like let's move this longer a, a little bit uh but so i, I it, it if anything, it may have a little bit of adverse effect on our training. <laughs> But <laughs> yeah. the 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 payback is so is so much worth you know is, is so worth it that we yeah. want to sacrifice a few seconds on our time for you know for the for the joy that we get out. You're
1: sacrificing this. for the joy that you're giving other people as well, I assume.
9: Uh, absolutely, and you know one of the things that we like to say you know we say is that, you know I mentioned in the article with uh, you know with Jen that. You know, New York City sometimes has a reputation for being a bit cold and unfriendly. Yeah, and we really try to, I think, dispel that notion. So, you know, we like to think of ourselves as kind of goodwill ambassadors uh, for the city. You know, we're not obviously we're not taking any money because who would pay for this to begin with? Um, You know, we just want to. You know, we just want to be friendly. um, And
4: yeah, you know, it's great
9: to encounter people. You know, just on a one-on-one basis. Like I said, there's a lot of international couples. There's a lot of just. Couples from all over the country, actually. And, you know, we're lucky to be here and able to, you know, to meet them. And it's amazing, you know, the world becomes such a smaller place when you're able to meet people one-on-one. And, you know, we get to, you know, we get to see that firsthand.
1: I love it. Now, the, the Wedding Hashers, your group also teamed up with the Raritan Valley Roadrunners to do a group wedding run. Is that yeah. right? What was that like? Yeah.
9: I'm glad you mentioned RVR. I'm a member of, of uh, that club. We like to think of ourselves as the best running club in New Jersey. Uh, we may not be the fastest, but we are the best, <laughs> but although we do have a lot of fast runners as well. Uh, but... Uh, Christine Prorock Rogers, who's a, a, a captain of uh, our women's team, uh, she follows us on Facebook, and she says, well, I, I, she, she looked as it looks at this and says,
4: Yeah, you know, I want to get in on this.
9: Yeah. You know, this looks like a lot of fun you guys are having. And uh, so we set up kind of like a wedding hasher palooza one Saturday. Uh, and so we spoke to our uh, our T-shirt supplier, and he made up some, uh, some women's T-shirts, they were kind of cute pink tuxedo outfits, <laughs> and we it, it, uh, extended our group to include a lot of the uh, the RVRR group as well, uh, and we had about, we really had a running, uh, it was like a, a, a running wedding party of about 12 people. It was oh, about, wow. You know, six guys, uh, six ladies, and we'd stop, and we ran into... We ran into about 13 or 14 couples. We ran into a, bar, a bachelorette party that day, and it was just an awesome, awesome day. And we want to plan on uh, you know, doing another one. We did it in June, so we uh-huh. know June's a popular wedding month. But we want to try to do another one, you know, sometime soon. And I just want to mention a couple of other runs we do. uh, Tom O'Reilly from Raritan Valley uh, Roadrunners, he does a holiday run every year where uh, we run through the streets of Manhattan. We go from we start in downtown Manhattan. We go through Central Park. Uh, We finish up uh, in Rockefeller Center at the Christmas Tree. And that's a great run that we have. And we have a couple of great shots with the whole – our VR group uh, um, with couples there. Uh, a couple of years ago, we actually ran into somebody proposing by the uh, Rockefeller Center Christmas tree.
1: See, that's what you wait for, right? Exactly. That's what. Oh man, that was the
9: moment, right? Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Uh, then you become
1: an, a part of someone's
9: story forever. Exactly, and somebody in my Alex in my club mentioned that he, he looked at me when I, when I saw the <laughs> guy get down on his knee, and he said, I, "You know, my, he'd never seen so many so many somebody's eyes wide uh, open up so wide when, right. he saw, when he saw me." So we jumped in on that. You're like, "It's you know, a
1: go time, guys! Come on, this is the moment we've been waiting for." Exactly,
9: and there's another member of our club, Bob uh, Bob Toner, who does a bridge run every year, where he picks different bridges that we run over around the city. And uh, we've run into, uh, 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 in a preview run this year, we actually ran into a a, a couple there. And I have to say, Bob was prepared. He had his wedding tuxedo shirt in his backpack (laughs) that day, and he just whipped (laughs) it out, and he saw it. And I actually didn't have the tuxedo shirt that
1: day. You'll never be unprepared again, though. You guys are like superheroes just lying in wait. You just, you're there at the right time. I love it.
9: Kind of. I don't know. I don't know how the su- actual superheroes would feel about that. Right.
1: <laughs> well, winter's not going to slow you down. You've got a lot of other runs. I'm going to to start training so that I can run with you guys someday.
9: We would love it.
1: Well, thanks so much, Wedding Hashers, for, <laughs> for joining us today and, and for your time and... Uh, inspiring us to, to use running in, in, in a way to connect with other people. Mark, thank you so much.
9: Oh, uh, Thanks, Lisa, for the opportunity to
1: speak. You bet. To the Wedding Hashers run around Brooklyn taking pictures with newly married couples. To see their pictures, you can visit their Instagram page at Wedding.Hashers. You can find The Lisa Show on the free BYU radio app.
0: Have you downloaded it yet? Make sure that you grab it, get it, use it, consume us. Uh, wherever you are, you can take us with you. It's like having us on vacation with you, if oh, that's where yeah. you listen.
1: And you can also email us, contact us. We'd love to hear from you. Show at BYU.edu.
0: Make great use of that subject line and send that email today.
1: Thank you for making The Lisa Show a part of your day.